0: Hello, hello, hello. My name is Courtney Turner, and you are listening to Bluegrass Community Foundation's Do Good Radio Hour. I'm keeping today's intro short and sweet because our guest today spent two whole hours with me in the pod lab when we recorded this episode. Now, that does not mean that this episode is going to be two hours, but I certainly don't want to waste any time jumping in. She is easily one of the most brilliant, most fascinating people I've ever met. And when I tell you she has the best stories, the best sense of humor, the best laugh, I truly mean that. Here is the one, the only, Miss Yvonne Giles. Miss Yvonne, how are you today? today? I'm good. Glad to meet you. I'm so glad to meet you. I have to let you know, the first time I saw you was, I mean, it was with Vanessa Holden at the DAP press conference, and you were wearing... This pink suit Mm -hmm. and this beautiful Beautiful. wide-brimmed hat. (laughs) My summer hat. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was beautiful. And when you spoke, it was honestly like electricity. Everyone was giggling. I mean, you had everybody rolling on the floor. Is that something that has always come to you naturally? Like, are people naturally drawn to you? I think so. It's
1: because uh, I tell people I'm an old lady, and at some point in your life, you get to the point of just saying... What's what's natural for you, you don't try to present any other persona. Right. And I've had people do that to me before. They get tickled at what I say, but it's just...
0: Oh, it was so fun. The best pictures from that day is just you at the mic, and everybody, the mayor was howling. <laughs> Everyone behind you was giggling. It was yeah, so fun. It was funny, yeah. Um, but I'm so thrilled to have you here because you are originally from Lexington, yes. correct? Yes. Can you tell me what it was like growing up here?
1: Well, you know, so many people like to have those kinds of stories, but I tell everybody, it's like you grow up, you're around people, you enjoy it, you... You know, just process through your life without any major um, stumbling points or sticking points. You just do. And it's to me, it was just a normal life. We were all, as I tell we were all poor. We didn't know it, but it was okay because we were all there. We were all there together. And, um, you know, Lexington was pretty decent. They had their issues. The city had its issues as most cities do. Sure. And, you know, you you interact with your students, and you, everybody got through school okay. Or, you know, I, to me, it was a, a, a good place to grow up.
0: Mm. How has Lexington changed? I mean, probably a lot of ways, but what are some of the bigger ways that you've seen Lexington change since, you know, you were young, and now you're the historian of the city, basically. <laughs> so why have you seen Lexington go through in that time period? Well, I was, uh, I guess I was more aware of what was going on because
1: I was a, a student during desegregation. So from that point on, you you could see and feel and actually experience the change because we were shopping downtown, we were riding the bus, you know, we could go to the movies. Uh the lyric theater was open. Mm-hmm. you know all it's uh opportunities i guess had increased uh for African Americans during the time period that I was cognizant mm-hmm. you know um so it, I didn't feel deprived at all, never mm-hmm. um and, you know, and I truly was not aware of the in the adults who had made all that possible. That is not something I learned until I was an adult, of all the African American men and women who had marched and protested and been involved in desegregation efforts here in Lexington. But and it's just amazing to discover them now, because they were just normal people. I right. mean, they were part of the community, church people, organizations. You know, you just you just kind of knew them and knew kind of what they were doing, but, you know, not really close to them. But they were very, very uh, instrumental in changing the landscape, or not maybe the landscape, but the uh, social and economic environment that my generation and present generations are continue to grow up. It wasn't perfect, but it was a good foundation, a good start. And one of the persons that I can remember is Audria Grievous, who worked with uh, Julietta Lewis. The two of them marched and organized, and I've listened to Audria's tapes about her experience, and it's just really, truly amazing how dedicated she was and were willing to put up with everything. (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. And she told the story of her standing in line at one of the restaurants, I believe. Or maybe it was a department store, I've forgotten. And the guard who was there to try to keep him out, he unhitched the chain and he started swinging it. And the longer he swung it, the larger the arc became. And it hit her shins. And she had a scar. She said it scarred my shin, and I lived with that scar the rest of my life. But she said I didn't move, I just started singing. And she had a brother. Her brother observed this, and he told me that he went to take care of the man for hitting his sister, and she grabbed him and told him to leave and go home
0: even after she had been
1: oh yeah she she knew she was being injured but they had all practiced they had taken classes about how to resist violence and she she was a shining example but she stood there and and was damaged by that man whipping that chain around And how, and I don't ever recall her saying when, how long she stood there and took it. But she said, I just kept singing. And the more she sang, the people around her started singing too. And perhaps the man thought, oh, well, this isn't working. Maybe he just quit. (laughs) Right. This is
0: definitely a different reaction than I'm sure he was expecting. No,
1: no, he wasn't. He was trying to provoke them. Mm -hmm. But they had been trained, and I've talked to other people who went to the classes about how do you react to someone who spits at you, who calls you out of your name, who throws things on you, uh, who even dares to push you. What do you do?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And there were three men that I've talked to, and the first time they were out on the street uh, in protest, one man said he... uh, a man called him out of his name and took a swing at him, and he said, "I decked him." So, needless <laughs> to say, he was not ever allowed on um, in the group
0: on the street again. He got left at the campaign short. Sure. <laughs> he and a friend of his. I mean, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> I get it, but I also know that that's probably not what they were going for. No,
1: no. He said, No, I wouldn't take it that. And then when Audrey's brother said that she pulled him, she said, She just grabbed me up by the shirt and told mm. me to go home mm. without question. Without question. And he did what she told him to do. But she said, He said it was hard for him to watch her being hurt.
0: I can't imagine. I feel like it's always one of those things where, when you're being hurt, it's so different. But then watching a loved one yes, get hurt, yes, and is you're not so doing much anything worse. about it, yeah, yeah. So those are the kinds
1: of stories. You know, I was too young to have known that, uh, but thankfully, they have li- had lived long enough to tell us what they experienced and why they did it, uh, and it was all to benefit. Not only the present, the generation that was living through it, but future generations. Mm -hmm. So we can, you know, I I wish that we had more charismatic leaders like that group, because they really, really, and Martin Luther King was still around. So he was an example. You know, you can do this by um, Mm nonviolence. You just, you just do. You set your tempo. You make your stand. And you stand it.
0: Now, record keeping is something that is very close to you and your heart and mm. the things that you're interested in. How did that start? How did you first start digging into these past stories? I, I know that you were looking for some family members right, at one point right. in time.
1: That's where most everyone starts with genealogy. They mm-hmm. want to know more about their family. I had I was very fortunate to have great aunts who shared our oral history with me. And I made notes, um, but I really didn't do much with those notes for 25, 30 years. And then in 2000, when I became interested in the old cemetery on 7th Street, I went in there to discover where our early family members had been buried. And as I've told everybody, once you start doing your own personal genealogy, then you become very interested in all the people who were associated with that generation. Yes. You find out about the churches, the schools, the organizations. Uh, the colored notes in the Lexington paper is like Facebook now. <laughs> it was truly, it was the social social page. Mm-hmm. It told who got married, who had a baby. Who was traveling? Who had come to town to visit? What? How many course meal they had at somebody's house? Uh,
0: where the children went to school? I mean, really, it, it's that's the Facebook so page. So funny, and what a difference! Because now you think, well, that wouldn't be in the newspaper, yes, but it's it because is. now we just have it at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. So that definitely makes sense. It's Facebook. Did so, anybody get in trouble in,
1: in those oh, pages? Oh, yes, yes. In fact, I always enjoy the uh, rebuttals. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know, people have similar names. Right. And if someone had done something inappropriate and had been written up in the paper, the person with that same name would immediately... Be like, that ain't me. That's not me. <laughs> exactly. And that person who got married, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm still on the market. (laughs) It was so, it's really, because they they read the paper right right back. I guess you had to. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I love the rebuttals.
0: That's so (laughs) funny.
1: And I I was always printed on the same, the colored note section. I mean, it wasn't on the back page where you couldn't find it. It was in the colored note section. Right in front. Right.
0: (laughs) I've got to pause and say you are a writer, you are an award winner, Mm -hmm. you are the, as we mentioned earlier, very stylish, but you are (laughs) arguably most well known in this community as a cemetery lady. Mm -hmm. And I'm not originally from here. And so when I first heard the term cemetery lady, I was afraid. Because I was like, who is this woman (laughs) and why is she walking around cemeteries all day? Weird person. (laughs) But how did that initial interest in going through records and in finding your people stem into what you do now with the cemeteries and the digital access project? How did Mm -hmm. all of that kind of culminate together?
1: Well, as you're doing research, trying to find the threads and the stories of your own family, you also do those for others. You know, the, you're, they're contemporaries. Uh, I knew that my family had owned property way back in the 1890s, so I had to go to the county clerk's office and search for the deed, which I found. Mm. In the and, big books. Yes, yep, yeah, in the big books. At the time, I could <laughs> lift them all down. Now I'm, I'm telling them. I told them one day, I said, now when I roll in here with my wheelchair, you're all going to have to come over here and get these books down. And they just look at me and laugh. But I'm serious. <laughs> yes. I quit climbing the ladder. <laughs> but, yeah, they're big books. But the information in those records is another library. Because it gives you all this de- detail and data and information about related people and non-related people that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an only record. And it's the same thing with the cemetery. I, my great-aunts had told me about two individuals. I had four great-aunts living at the time. And they were trying to remember great-aunts of theirs. They got in an argument. No, her name's not that, it's this. And they called this one in Cincinnati and the other one in New York. And they all, I had four names. (laughs) But I'm writing them all down while they're saying it. And because they died well before death certificates, before there were obituaries in the paper, all I had is what they said. Mm -hmm. When I get to cemetery number two and find other relatives in a, in a grave site, a grave line, here is a monument with the names of those two women that they had talked about. And they, each of them had remembered various parts of their names, Mary, Ellen, and Britton. Mm. But here they are on a monument that these women's children had placed. There was no other record except that. So I, I that's that just convinced me that cemetery is part of the search. Mm. You have to do that. So I got interested in who else is in the cemetery. I did, yeah. literally. I want to know where, you know, and my other family members, I thought, okay, I found this role. Where are the rest of them? Right. So I ended up... Uh, Sur- surveying the whole cemetery over about two months and discovered I had 42 relatives there with headstones. And then I have discovered since then, there are others there who don't have headstones. They may have had at one time, but the cemetery has suffered such vandalism over mm-hmm. the years. that could have been broken. And of course the fragments have disappeared, but I have 42 members that I can document And they were, you know, they all made their individual contributions to this community. And I thought, see? And so I would, whenever we had a public meeting, uh, people would walk up to us and say, I've got so-and-so buried in the cemetery. If they had a headstone at that time, if they had a headstone, I would recite to that person what was on that headstone. So all the guys in the cemetery got to teasing me You've been know, over there talking to those dead people again, haven't you? <laughs> I said, no, they talked to me, and I listened.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: I'm serious. Yes. I'm so serious. They talk to me, and I listen. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because they have left records. County clerk's office has their marriage records. They have their deeds to real estate. They have their wills. They have left records. They have left in their own voice parts of their life. So I became the cemetery lady because <laughs> I could recite everything on the on the headstones and it would be so funny because I could see the rest of the board members collecting around me if somebody oh I've got so-and-so over there they'd just wait until I had to, I said, <laughs> you need to take this show
0: on the road. No,
1: no, 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 no. Not everybody is ready for me. And I can always tell when I'm doing a presentation, I kind of watch people's faces. Mm-hmm. And if they start glaze the eyes, glazing over, I know I've gone too far, so I just sit mm-hmm. down and shut up. And most of the time
0: I tell, okay, when it's time for me to quit, just tell me, you know. What is some of the most interesting stories that you've been told? in your experiences in the cemeteries. Well, I'm not sure that I've had stories
1: told to me is more like stories I've uncovered. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, most people will tell me they have someone buried in the cemetery, but they can't relate stories that I don't know whether they don't know or choose not to tell me. But as I have uncovered um individuals just by their names on the headstones with their birthday date, death date sometimes just a death date. i go look for death certificates if they're available i look for an obituary which tells you a whole lot because they put everything in mm-hmm. the paper i mean everything <laughs> in the paper um and then i i check to see if they left a will and most of them did it's amazing mm-hmm. They could have had a lot with a shotgun house on it, but they had a will. So people in their family whom they loved and left bequests to are in those records. So I do that, and then I look in the paper in the in the Facebook colored notes. um, You know, do their names appear and where? Churches, social organizations, uh, school records. You know, school activities. They would have a list of school act who graduated and. Who made on a row, and you know, uh, community parks? Did they participate in activities there? Did they play in the band? Just, just all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. World War One, rec- well, military records is a big part of uncovering their history. So you know, it's it's just is what I call turning over every stone. I love that. Literally, you search every possible record that you have access to. Mm. And that's how the stories unfold. Uh, One of the stories that I really was shocked about, and we're very proud to learn, we have uh, the only female cook. She was a White House chef. She is the only female chef that worked from the time George Washington became president up through Obama. She's in our cemetery, had been very famous during her lifetime. And I, again, it was one of those stories i just stumbled across. I didn't, I wasn't looking for her. And I tell everybody when they want to be found, they make themselves known. Uh, I just, I was shocked. I truly, and I- That's truly taken my breath away. I know, I know everybody. Are you, uh, yep, we've got the records. And a couple of years ago, and I wish I could remember his name, there was a man who wrote a book about uh, the African-American chefs from George Washington through Obama, and he featured her. He featured her. He documented what we had found. He had more information than I had found. But she was from Lexington. Uh, She worked in the White House for the Harris administration and part of the Cleveland came back to Kentucky, set up a restaurant the White House Cafe in downtown Lexington. Love that. (laughs) But she had been a caterer, so she was a good cook. Um, And she appears in national publications. uh, When you get online and check newspaper Chronicling America, which is the Mm -hmm. newspaper database, she's there. She's there. But she came back home, and she's buried in number two. Oh and let's say my who else gosh. did I discover? Um just this year, uh, don't ask me how this one happened. Um I I know how it was happening. I'm looking for blacksmiths. We're trying mm-hmm. to develop our database on who what me and were blacksmiths and there was a name that Harold H A R R E L D. Well it's spelled various ways. Mm-hmm. So I you know, I Google all the names, all the spellings and discovered that the man who has a headstone in our cemetery died in 1914 found his death certificate found his obit and it said that he was born in Muncie, Indiana uh, that he had been uh, electrical uh, instructor at Kentucky State and he and his wife were leaving Lexington after a visit going back home to Frankfurt they were riding a motorcycle I thought What kind of motorcycle in 1914? I haven't haven't looked that up yet. But uh, he was headed back on the old road. We didn't have interstate. And there were two buggies racing down the road when he approaches, and one of the buggies hit him and killed him. His wife survived. And I'm thinking, he's from Muncie. His family's from Muncie, Indiana. How in the world did he come back? Why why is he in number two? Well, through process of continuing research and asking for help from Raynette Jones, who is um, the co-founder and manager of the notable Kentucky African American Database, I was telling her this story. So she did a little more digging and kind of find out that Lucille, his wife, was from Lexington. And? When Harold, her first husband, died, she went back. She was living in Chicago when they married. She went back to Chicago and married another man. And when she, when Miss Jones, shared that information with me, the light bulb just blazed in my eyes. I thought, I know this woman. I know who she is. I know who her parents are. They're buried in Number Two. Absolutely knew her, and I thought, okay, that's why Harold's here. I just, I thought, and I sent the the note to our chairman and I said, these people's voices are still speaking because the book I wrote about the cemetery, still voices yet speak. And every year, sometimes there are two and three who just surface, just here I am, pay attention to me. Oh, So Harold's on our list. Shout out to Harold. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And the other thing I discovered is his brother, William Kemper Harold, was a violinist, had gone to Berlin to study violin, came back to the United States, became music director at Morehouse University. Yeah, his name was on uh, Robert Harold's death certificate. He had professor, and I thought, who in the heck is this man? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I found out, and now he's not buried, his brother's not buried in number two. In doing some research on Charles Young, Colonel mm-hmm. Charles Young, because yeah. I'm working on that project, mm-hmm. I find this national news article about Mr. Kemper Harold performing at Wilberforce University and the Carolinas, and he has performed a piece written by Charles Young. African Lament. I haven't found the man I haven't found the script yet. <laughs> this is So yes, yes. And anybody um, <laughs> else would just be really oh whoa, well, wait a minute. Me, I'm all over it. I thought oh, good, here's another story. This is great. I gotta find out more. So this is how my life is. And it's what to me it's exhilarating. Um it adds and I tell people I learn something new every single day. Every single day mm-hmm. so I enjoy those kinds of challenges I, I'm a, I'm always open when somebody's name pops up on my radar that I'm off to another
0: hunt <laughs> oh and it really just goes to show how small the world is oh yes I mean you're yeah. making so many different connections mm-hmm. with what are the odds that he would have played a piece written by Charles Young right? L- well,
1: no, a lot of people don't realize that Charles Young was a very talented man. He just wasn't right. military. He spoke six, well, four languages and uh, has studied Greek and Latin. Um, and he played piano and violin. And he composed music. We know of one piece that he composed. I haven't found the African lament yet. But we're on it. Yeah, really. I'm. <laughs> you know, some, somebody's got Somebody's got it. Got it. That. Yes, yeah. yeah to have been performed uh, at Wilberforce University by this famous violinist, African-American. And he he has a, a Find a Grave webpage. so there's a picture of him. I haven't found a picture of Robert yet. But... Uh, so those are the kinds of wonderful stories that I enjoy mm. researching. Not all of them have been told, mm-hmm. but our cemetery just is just so full of rich history and Stories about individuals we haven't begun to touch. Mm. We've worked on um, the horsemen. We're now up to 176 equine industry horsemen. Hundred, and we started with 84. So, and that's a continuing project. And the other continuing project is the military men of the Civil War, mm-hmm. the United States Colored Troop, we had 40 headstones in the cemetery when I started in 2000. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. We had 23,703 Kentuckians, black men, join the Civil War. How come we only have 40 headstones? Right. That doesn't make sense. That math so ain't math. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with the math here. <laughs> so I started. Uh, I thought, okay, even if we have ten percent of that number, that's two hundred.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, ten percent would have been two thousand. So one percent is two hundred. Right. So my goal, my goal is to verify they have to have a death certificate, they have to have enlisted. So that's been a long, long, involved search. But every year I find more. Last year I find it, found a cache of. 18 veterans headstones that had been ordered, had been placed in the cemetery, but had disappeared <gasps> off the landscape, vandalism. So we were able to provide VA with all of the data and we're getting them all replaced. Oh and that will make gosh. a t- total of, in the past three years, a total of 24 headstones. So we add the 24 headstones, Plus the 40 we have, that's 64. And then I have uh, a list of those individuals who have just regular mockerment you mm-hmm. know, family monuments mm-hmm. or individual monuments. So our numbers now are 149.
0: Oh, my goodness. From 40. Well, I was going to ask if you were ever thinking about slowing down or... No, no. Clearly I not. Really, no. <laughs>
1: totally right. You know that I, you know, we all have days we get too busy, we have family we have to deal mm-hmm. with and physically I I finally discovered what was wrong with me. <laughs> I have developed a wheat allergy. In my old age, I oh. can't eat any wheat. No bread, no crackers, no pancakes, no noodles, pasta, oh. none of that. So I've had to change my entire diet, which is good. Uh, and I feel so much better. I just uh, couldn't believe. Cause I'm I, so glad I, that you feel yeah. better. I'm oh, so yeah. sad you can't
0: have bread. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to eat as much pasta and bread as I was eating. So this is good. Yeah. You know, it's good. So I thought, okay, I'm going to live. In fact, I went to the library one day, and I, they said, where have you been? I said, I've not felt well. And... Uh, I said, but I decided I didn't die, so I'm just going to get up and keep moving. <laughs> yes. That's all you can do. That's that's how you got to live your life. Right, exactly. And I'm not going to sit there and do nothing. I can't do that. Right. Uh, so I do the research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with COVID, we had to stay in so much. So right. I did subscribe, take, you know, order the subscriptions for all the databases I, that I looked for. Mm-hmm. But I still go to the cemetery. Um, One of the things I took on, which I probably shouldn't have done, but I did, in June of 2018, the burial manager for the other black cemetery, Cove Haven, that was organized in 1907, she died suddenly. Mm. And the existing board had made an announcement that they were going to close that cemetery. And I thought, oh, no, they can't do that. So I met with them, and I shared with them what I had done because I would surveyed that cemetery. And I showed them, I said, just two sections of this cemetery have names on gravestones, and there are no death dates for at least one of those names. This is over 100. You cannot close it because people have grave lots up here. You can't close right. it. So, oh, but what can we do? So I volunteered to assist. Uh oh, that's and how they the get, man yeah. who was yeah, the man <laughs> who was my my I was assisting him. He resigned. Oh, I yeah. couldn't. I was ready to kill him. So now you're the boss. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Not, I'm not so sure I'm a boss. But so it was a lot, lot of work. But I have gotten involved in the history of that cemetery. I knew some. I had family members who had started, organized number two. I had family members that organized Cove Haven. Mm. So to me, I was connected. At Cove Haven, I have 62 relatives there, and they're all scattered all over the cemetery. So you know, I felt, I feel connected, I am connected. and. Um, researching just and it's just amazing it's amazing to mm-hmm. hear to find their stories absolutely amazing mm-hmm. and it's just the tip of the ice, iceberg
0: what do you think the overall importance of having representation after your passing it's is it's critical mm.
1: and people do, doing covid i think everybody realized that cuz we've had so many people uh, place headstones, and their family members may have been there anywhere from ten to fifteen years, mm. and never had a headstone. Right. But now they are beginning to place them, and my uh, conundrum with that, they'll call me and say, "Do you know where so and so was, and or is buried?" So I'll ask for their name, and I'll say, "And well, do you have a burial date? 1970, 1980? Here, I just started in 2018." <sighs> And I've surveyed the whole cemetery between 2009 and 14, so I have a database of the Mm -hmm. headstones that are there and any grave markers, you know, the little funeral home plaques that were there. Right. So I have been able to help some people, but not all. But it's important because I knew just from my own relatives that nobody could tell us what names were (laughs) That had it not been for that headstone, I would never, ever know them. Right. So, yes, it's important. I know, And I've told people, you don't have to have an elaborate one. Right. Just put one, their name and their death date, birthday, death date, and any other con- family connection yeah. that you want. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to spend a fortune for them. Because they are expensive. They are very expensive, and now it's gotten... The marble companies were having such a hard time getting material.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So some people, it's been two years process with mm-hmm. some people. I think things have improved, but it was hard. Uh, just, mm. uh, I thought, and here I am. I thought, wow, how come up, we were living through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, I think there are lessons in this. And how, how they are taken by people, I'm not sure yet. Sure. Yeah, the only time will tell. We'll learn
0: eventually. Mm -hmm. My second question is, you know, you're surrounded with—it sounds really morbid, but you're surrounded with death Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. people who are going through a super traumatic time in their life. How do you— how do you cope with that? Do you, do you carry that with you no. in some way? No. No.
1: Because I tell everybody I treat the cemetery as a business. Mm. So that's how I run it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they call me for a burial, I always express my condolence to them. And then I just present, ask them questions as uh, as if we were transacting a business. Mm. And I... Uh, Listen to them. But generally, uh, my treasurer, the treasurer who works with the cemetery, he says, you're a good one. You know how to talk. And I said, I know this is a hard time for them, and I acknowledge that. Right. But these are questions that are important, and we have to have answers Mm -hmm. for them. Yep. So we talk. A lot of times I spend, you know, 30 minutes talking to them. But by the time we get through talking, it's like we've known each other because I ask them about their family right? and who else might be buried there and how they're related and, you know, where do they want them buried next to that person or close to them or do they want them someplace else I had... I've had some people, no, I don't want to be buried next to so-and-so. And I go, okay, <laughs> this is good.
0: <laughs> I That's won't make great that information mistake. to know.
1: I won't make that yeah. mistake. Uh, and sometimes they're distraught to the point that they don't always give me correct information. Mm. That's always a problem. Right. So I do my research. I usually do genealogy and death certificates on them to make sure I have all the right information. I check Legacy.com, if it's Mm -hmm. already been posted, to make sure I have the correct information. And if I do find that I don't have what I need, I will call them back Mm -hmm. and ask very politely. Right. And there have been a few who, the person they're sharing information with, they have married two and three times, and I'll get a wrong
0: last name. That was husband number one. <laughs> okay, we are going to go into our next segment, which I'm so excited about, Miss Yvonne. It is called BGCF Fast Facts, where I'm going to ask you a question. Oh. And without thinking too hard about it. Oh, dear. You're going to give me the first answer that pops up. No. Are you ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're super easy.
1: Okay. okay.
0: We call it a light stroll. So it doesn't have to be a lightning round. It's just a light stroll. What are you reading right now? Oh,
1: (laughs) I have been reading a book by Peter Canalis. Mm. It was released last year. And it's about Justice uh, Marshall, John Marshall Harlan, Mm. who was a Supreme Court justice. He, the title is about... Uh, the great uh, dissenter, Mm. because he dissented along about a lot of the uh, decisions of the court when he was sitting there. But also within that book, which was a surprise, a very pleasant surprise, is information about the African-American Robert Harlan that was associated with that family. It is excellent book. When I first saw it released, I went to the library. They had a copy, and I, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. checked it out. And I knew that that book had to be on my shelf. So I bought it, Mm -hmm. and I have reread it now for the third time. It is the best written book I have ever read about two men in the same time period of different races because he treats it... Uh, Just, you know, he interweaves their story without saying they were actually related. Right. But they knew each other. They had some familiar um, connection. And they were both powerful men during their time period. So I highly recommend that book. The other book that hasn't come into the library yet, and there have um, been—that I want to read is on hold— is, I might get this wrong, but Alistine Turley is the author. It was released this past August, and it's about uh, the black spiritual leaders who were very active during the Underground Railroad period. Mm
0: And I thought, oh, I need this book. I need to have it. So. We're going to get Ann Donworth on the line. Yes. Tell her to. <laughs> tell her to. When well, the library has ordered it, I
1: checked to see if it Yay. was in yet. So it's not coming in, but I'm. We'll find it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> What are you watching right now? I don't watch television. Okay. I don't have time to watch television. Yep. I do all my research and I do my reading. I just, I don't, I haven't watched television for years.
0: You're not missing anything.
1: Because I know when I had a TV and was watching it, I found I was re the reruns. And I yep. thought, what? or, or I would, the TV would end up watching me because I'd go to sleep. Right. And I thought, I don't need this. This can't be
0: healthy. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what are you listening to right now?
1: Uh, Music-wise, not anything. Again, that's kind of Mm time-consuming for me. I do um, Julia Perry, who is a um, young lady who became a very famous conductor Mm. and composer. She grew up, started, well, she was here for 10 years, and then the family moved to Akron, Ohio. And her music has uh, come into its own. And there's so many orchestras now in the United States that are beginning to play her pieces. Mm. So I get links, YouTube links, to her music when it's being played. And the one that was just played, I think it was just this Sunday, uh, by the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, that the Lexington Philharmonic will be playing in (gasps) May.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. But they have
1: played, here in Lexington, they played her music for three seasons, and the last fall they had a concert uh, here in Lexington, just across the street right. from you. Yeah. Uh, so I do like listening to her music, learning about her uh, when I when it's available to me. I've been to the Lyric when they've had some of the other stage performers, yep. um, and they have been fun. Mm-hmm. I love I love uh, old blues jazz guys. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't get enough. They are really great, but I don't generally, I used to, you know, I still have CDs. I still have the old records oh, like yes. the ones you have in the yes. lobby. Um, but I don't have a record player anymore, and I don't have a CD, so, you know, I, <laughs> I don't do Spotify. Because, I mean, it just takes a lot of time. And right.
0: I keep myself busy doing other things. Good for you. What are you eating right now? Oh, no wheat. No wheat. <laughs>
1: Wheat is off the menu. Yes, it's totally off the (laughs) menu. And I'm doing, And you know, I quit cooking, which was probably why I had developed the sweet resistance. Um, But I'm eating a lot of vegetables. I've always loved vegetables. I'm doing a lot more cooking Mm because I cook on Sunday and Wednesday. So I always have food in the refrigerator. Rice and potatoes and polenta and Mm. just all kinds of vegetables. So good. Um, Fruit. You know, and I literally, I do feel so, so much better. And I am a tea drinker. I drink all kinds of tea. I quit drinking uh, coffee because I thought coffee was the problem. But, um, was, you know, too much acid. It was acid, the wheat. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was sweet.
0: but I also love tea. Yes, I'm a tea yeah. girl. I actually used to think that only rich people had teapots. Oh, no. So I walked into an apartment one day. And there was a teapot on the stove, and I was like, oh, they are well... Because I would just put mine in the microwave. Oh, and yeah, just, right. Just just one cup at a time. But now I realize that you can... Anybody oh, yeah. can have a teapot. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Yep. What are you most scared of? I don't, I, I'm not afraid of too
1: much of anything. Mm-hmm. I've never been... Well, people say, aren't you afraid of snakes? No. <laughs> Because we have a lot of snakes in the summer. I mean, I'm it's sure. early spring in the cemetery. And I said, they're just cotter snakes, and they're free, more afraid free of me than I am of them. Yeah. And so long as I see them ahead of time, I'm good. Yeah. Um, they're just really... I, 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 I'm sure I have some fear, but it's not... I guess I live by the... Uh, God did not intend for you to uh, live by fear and trauma. Mm-hmm. I just... And it's not something I preach. It's just something I believe. Right.
0: What are you most proud of?
1: Oh, golly gee, I don't know. Um, everybody asks me that. what do I want to be remembered? What am I most proud of? I really don't know. I think is that the community has embraced my eccentricity. <laughs> By, you know, encouraging my research and being interested in it and asking questions and asking me to speak about my experience in researching our African-American history, because I really do focus on African-American history. Absolutely. And people will start, you know, they will say something. I said, no, uh -uh. you research the white folks. I'm on the black (laughs) folks. I'm good. There's not been enough research about black people. Absolutely. And that's not to mean that I don't know history of white people because we were all interrelated. We were all part of the same community. We all had to work together. But because so much has not been uncovered about African-Americans, I tend to focus on that On on my people,
0: I just do. Yeah. Who do you look up to?
1: There are people in my past. Some of them are not here. Uh, One was Lucy Hammond. Uh, She was an African-American woman who had gotten her degree in dietetics, and she was a head dietitian. When she came to Lexington, she started working with the Extension Service, which is uh, the Ag Extension Service, Mm. with a program called... Expanded Food and Nutrition Program. Well, she was our family friend, and when that program came, she encouraged me to um, become part of that program. And through my work with her, I was able to become employed professionally Mm -hmm. with Extension Service, and she always looked out for me and mentored me, and um, I learned so much from her. I, you know i i I think of her very often, mm. but she's no longer with us, yeah. but she was just very dynamic i mean i was you know i I had no idea i'd never never been in four h i lived grew up in the city, mm. so she introduced me to a profession that was very satisfying for me. I worked for fifteen years with extension, but I was ready to move, so I did. So I didn't stay my lifetime. And a lot, of, a lot of the agents stayed until they were ready to retire right. at 70.
0: Yep. What are you looking forward to?
1: Oh, I'm not sure because I don't know how long I tell people. I have no idea how long I'm going. I have longevity on both sides of my family uh, in their 90s and 100s. So i got 20 more years to go. and. I just, I think I want to always remain healthy. This episode with my health earlier just made me stop and think. I thought, okay, where am I going with this? You know, what is it I would like to see finished uh, before I leave here? Mm-hmm. But my granddaughter tells you, are not going to die anyway soon. I thought, okay. <laughs> I take that as a recommendation. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what I would look forward to, possibly finishing some of the projects I've started mm. and just, just continuing to be involved with the community and doing what I'm doing, I, I'm just really satisfied about it. Um, and I've had people say, well, what do you do for entertainment diversion and I just kind of look at myself, just pick up another project. Yes, I do. I really and I I don't miss. I don't feel that I'm missing anything. No. Nothing, nothing in my life, I think it's uh, has been a very rewarding, enriched life with uh, people that I've associated with, have known with Uh, my grandparents I think influenced me a lot because I spent the summers with them Uh, they had a farm so, you know, we had chores. Right. My my chores to go gather the eggs out of the hen house, I tell everybody. Here I am, a little kid. And you know, hens, have you done this before? I have. Oh, so you know. I grew up on a farm. <laughs> they pick the back of your hands. Yes, they do. And it hurt. And you got to be careful because you don't want to break the eggs. Yes. But we had one old hen. My grandmother had one old hen. She was mean. <laughs> she would not get off the nest. A lot of them knew when you came in the hen house, they would get off the right. nest. She wouldn't, oh, and my grandmother no. did not. The, there was a time period she did not want the hen setting on the egg. She wanted, you know, she wouldn't get off the nest. So after getting pecked at too many times. Yeah, I bet she ate you up. She did. <laughs> it was horrible. I took a stick in with me, and I'd hit on the box, and she, she'd just look at me. And I thought, you're going to have to get off the nest today, and I whacked her knocked her off the nest and here she is laying in the floor with her tongue hanging out I thought, Oh, I killed a chicken. But I got the eggs and before I left the hen house she got back up. Listen. So I didn't have to tell my grandmother what i done. You killed the hen. <laughs> but whenever I went in again she got off the nest. She didn't even She learned out. her lesson. Yeah, she enough.
0: did. Oh that is so funny. <laughs> I remember that too. I thought, oh yeah, I was tired of getting hurt. hurt. Yes, it does. It <laughs> stings. Yes. Why do you love our community?
1: I, I, just because of the diversity. And I've told people when i made presentations that Lexington has always been culturally and ethnically diverse. And I learned that just by doing all this research. We had people who were from France, from Germany, from Ireland, you know, uh, England, the West Coast, East Coast, Northern states, and Southern states. They were all a mix. We have always been culturally and ethnically diverse. And all this information about, us we need to be, I thought, no, you missed it. We've been been there is where we started. Last question. Why do you love yourself? Oh, gee, I have not a clue. You're supposed to,
0: right? You're supposed to. You're
1: supposed to, because if you don't appreciate and respect yourself, as what was it, um, who sang respect?
0: Aretha Franklin. Uh, Aretha, yeah.
1: (laughs) She was right. You Yes. If you don't respect yourself, then no one else is. Mm. You have to do that. And you have to portray, you have to project that. Uh, or else, you know, people just don't. They won't. Mm-hmm. You you have to. Uh, you don't. You don't need to be braggadocious or uh, always putting yourself out front. And I tell people, I don't know everything. I readily admit it. I've learned a lot, and I'm always open to learning more. But you have to respect yourself before you can expect people to do that. Mm. And most people think I'm an, I'm an agent now, but most people think I'm funny. And that's, I love, I love it. I laugh with them.
0: Because you are so funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You are so, you almost killed a hen. I know. The, <laughs> Poor Bert. But she never messed with me again. <laughs> Miss Yvonne, thank you so much for spending well, some time you with me. for
1: inviting me. I appreciate the time.
0: Oh, you have to come back, and and I'm going to come over and hang out with you if that's okay. At the cemetery. At the cemetery, your house, wherever you want to go. It's
1: heating up again, so we'll be at the yeah. cemetery. Yeah. I have a I have an old lady winter rule. Okay. And I think other people ought to too. Okay. Forty and snow, the old lady in the car don't go. <sighs> So I sent this to all the groups I was working with. They said, what? I said, if it's 40 degrees below and there's snow on the ground, don't look for me to come. Because I won't be there. Exactly. I thought, I don't have to go to work. Why am I doing this? And then I haven't come up with my summer rule yet. I thought, how hot do I? The heat's beginning to bother me a lot. And oh, I thought, yes. Do I go to 75? What can I say? You know?
0: 75, stay alive, I don't know. (laughs) We'll come up with something. We'll pitch some ideas. Well, Miss Yvonne, we love you so much. And we will see you next time. Okay.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on the Do Good Radio Hour, brought to you by Bluegrass Community Foundation. We'll be back next week right here on Radio Lex, or you can listen to us anytime on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at bgcfky or visit us at bgcf.org to stay up to date on all of the latest giving and do-good opportunities in our community. Until next time, I'm Courtney Turner. Do good and be well. You are listening to the Do Good Radio Hour on Radio Lex WLXU 93.9 LP-FM Lexington. Our theme song is Happy Tune, written and performed by Brother Smith. The views expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the views of Radio Lex, its board of directors, or Bluegrass Community Foundation. The views expressed are solely my own and the guest's.